you just have to meet your protein requirements. And as an athlete, okay, eat an extra half a sweet potato, you know, have an extra handful of walnuts or put some nuts in your oatmeal or, or have an extra smoothie or whatever. It's not anything crazy, but are people going to even believe that? Or they're like, what do you mean this guy, you know, 210 pounds and eating 92 grams of protein a day. That's not possible because we've been trained that that's not possible, right? Mm-hmm. I read the muscle magazines. I read the books. I, I hang out with the bodybuilders. I have BB circuit for 20 years as a big fan, protein, protein, protein. So I'm at that crossroads because I don't know that it's responsible for me to encourage people to just consume copious amounts of protein, even in plant-based form, because that's, you know, that's what we've been told. But I also, at the same time, I don't know if people are going to resonate with my practice that I've put in for half a decade or longer of consuming 10 to 15% of calories from protein. And that's enough. And I'm still been the biggest and strongest I've been in my entire life in recent years, even in my forties. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's conversation welcomes Robert Cheek and Matt Frazier, co-authors of the newly released New York Times bestselling book, The Plant-Based Athlete. Robert is a former champion bodybuilder, a longtime vegan, and founder of veganbodybuilding.com. The guy has put on a whopping 100 pounds all while abstaining from animal products. Matt is also a veteran plant-fueled machine, but has made his mark in the world of endurance sports as a marathoner and ultra runner. Matt is also the man behind the highly popular blog, nomeatathlete.com. Together, they have written a book filled with science and plant-based athlete transformation stories. I want to preface this episode by saying that I am personally not plant-based, nor do I think it's the best approach for everyone. My intention with this conversation is to share a different perspective and get the answers to the questions many ask regarding the subject of plant-based nutrition. We discuss the why, what, and how of plant-based nutrition and the benefits that come with it. And of course, we get into the million-dollar questions surrounding protein, supplementation, and amino acids. Our conversation also goes into how to course correct when eating more plants becomes challenging, and they also share something from their book that will shock some non-plant-based eaters, as well as their own personal stories. So let's get this conversation going, and welcome Robert Cheek and Matt Frazier to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Thank you, Doug. I have to admit, when your team reached out about having you on the podcast. I, I was intrigued because I have a lot of friends who are plant-based, you know, rich roll is, is in your book and I know rich and there's so many other names in there that I recognize, but I was like, you know, I don't know if a lot of my audience is plant-based. So I was like, how am I, how am I going to add value to who's listening to this? How can I help you guys get your message out there more? Is this really going to be the right spot? And after reading your book and after doing more research on both of you, I was like, you know what, this is perfect. I said, because I think right now with where we're at, you know, the United States, just take the United States, for example, our health is in, in shambles. The diabetes sure. rates are up, um, you know, obesity is up, people are on blood pressure medications, people are having heart attacks, like all, all the things, right? So what better time to talk about eating more plants? So I'm excited to talk to you guys. 
Yeah, you too. I appreciate you giving us the, uh, the chance to answer some questions and, and talk about what you just said. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Doug. And we think that we really believe that everyone can benefit from eating more plants. And we'll talk about that today. And I think that's, that is a key message that that's something we can all do right now to take a positive step forward for our health. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can never argue that eating more plants is going to be, you know, you can't, you can't say that plant eating more plants is going to be bad for your health. I don't care. I don't care who you are. Right. I mean, you might not necessarily agree that you need to be a hundred percent vegan, but I would imagine that every single person listening to this is probably looking at themselves and being like, you know, I think I could probably eat some more vegetables. I probably need another salad. I probably should incorporate some more complex carbohydrates or healthy fats or whatever it is. So let's get into it. But I think before we get into your newest book, The Plant-Based Athlete, which by the way, is fantastic. It's this compilation of stories, science, you know, Robert, you and Matt's your own writing into the book. And it's, it's fascinating. And I'm intrigued to why you chose to do the book in the way you did it. But first, let's get into both of your backstories a little bit, because I don't think my audience is, is familiar with you guys. So, you know, Robert, let's start with you. I know, ironically, I think your dad is a, or is, or was an animal science professor. He's written like 15 textbooks on animal science. You grew up on a farm. Your brother drove like a pickup truck to school and was like this like hell bent farm boy. And then you decide in the middle of, of high school to go vegan. And then not only go vegan, you decide to pursue bodybuilding, like, which by the way, like to me, I mean, I know Nimai is like a big vegan bodybuilder, but traditionally those two words don't go hand in hand. Right. So talk right. about your journey. Where were you at in high school? What, what inspired you to go vegan? And then what has it done for you? Yeah, thanks, Doug. Yeah, I, I grew up on a farm. My, my father, Peter Cheek, is a professor of animal science or a retired professor of animal science and wrote 15 textbooks about raising animals for food and traveled around the world teaching people how to do that. And my dad came from a farming background. My mom came from a farming background. I grew up on a farm. We had a dairy next to us, another dairy down the road. I mean, farming is, is really my background. And I was in the 4-H program. I raised dairy calves and showed them at the county fair and then sold them at the auction. And I raised rabbits and chickens and sold them at the auction. And my older sister, who was a big inspiration for me, became a compassionate animal rights activist at a young age, probably 10, 11, 12. And by the time we were in high school, she was a senior. She organized this animal rights week at my high school. And I decided, you know, out of respect for my sister, I will go be, you know, become a vegan, whatever that means. You know, I was hanging out with my friends. I loved eating bacon. I loved eating chicken sandwiches. I was a, a sophomore in high school, going to fast food restaurants for lunch every day. And, you know, I, I attended that event and I, I watched videos of factory farming and animal testing. I listened to speakers. I talked to people. I had conversations. I read literature and I decided that I no longer wanted to contribute to animal suffering and wanted to become vegan. But at the same time, as a kid growing up in the 80s and early 90s, I was a big fan of pro wrestling and wanted to be like Hulk Hogan, wanted to get bigger and stronger. But by eighth grade, even at eating, eating a, a farm diet of lots of milk and bacon and everything, I only weighed 89 and a quarter pounds. By the time I became vegan as a sophomore in, in high school at age 15, I was 120 pounds. But I had aspirations of being 220 pounds. You know, I wanted to be like this pro wrestler on TV. And I thought, man, is that even possible without animal protein? This is 1995, before I had the internet, before most people had the internet. And, and I wasn't sure. But my sister told me, you know, Robert, at the end of the day, we need 
we need protein, vitamins, minerals, you know, all these things based on, you know, good quality nutrition. And we don't need to get them from animal sources. In fact, we can get some really, really good sources from plants. And so I decided I would, I would give it a try and stick with it. So as a five sport athlete, I continued on and, and kept on keeping on. And, and I was a runner, soccer player, basketball player, wrestler, track and field athlete, eventually ran cross country in college. Then I checked in right here and said, hey, Robert, what do you really want to do? And what I really wanted to do was get bigger and stronger. And so I started lifting weights. It was laughable at first. I was a long distance runner. I wasn't supposed to be in the gym lifting weights with aspirations of, of getting a lot bigger, but, but I did. And I eventually became a competitive bodybuilder and then a champion bodybuilder. And I did eventually reach 220 pounds. In fact, that's the weight I've maintained for most of the past year until the, the stress of this book release dropped 10 pounds off me, <laughs> about two, 209 right now. And so, so Doug, that's, I mean, a quarter century of living a plant-based athlete lifestyle, uh, being a champion runner, being a champion bodybuilder, putting on a hundred pounds. One of my goals was to put that protein question to rest you, that you can get enough protein on a plant-based diet. And I'm just one example of someone who's done that. That's incredible. And it's very inspirational. I think given your background where you said, you're right, your dad was a professor and wrote all these textbooks and you grew up on a farm. So I'm sure a lot of your friends, you know, were in that atmosphere as well. So I'm sure you had to deal with, I don't want to, I don't know if it was haters or deal with, with criticism, deal with some negativity, either from your parents, from your colleagues or a combination of both. And then the, 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 what I want to follow up on is you go and pursue something like bodybuilding, which in itself, like bodybuilding is great. I mean, there's some people that, that might not be a fan of it because of maybe the vanity of it or whatever, but you know, bodybuilding, you got to be disciplined. You, you make sacrifices. You obviously are working on your, on your health, you're, you're setting and achieving goals. You're proving to yourself that you can do something you never thought you could. So like looking back, what do you think got you through that time of not only pursuing bodybuilding, but going the vegan route in a time where there probably wasn't as much research out on it as there is now, there probably wasn't as many people doing it. You didn't have the veganbodybuilding.com like you created, like, like what got you through? Was it the, the ethical reasons? Was it the environment? Was it just, you're trying to prove to yourself that you could do it? Like, what was it? Yeah, Doug, that's a great question. And I've, I've talked a little bit about that, but I haven't really taken a deep dive into that because at age 15, you're changing your mind about things all the time and what's important to you and how you relate to the world around you and what you want to be and who you want to be and who you want to be associated with and what you want to be when you grow up and what you're going to do for the next few years of your life. It's a, it's a, it's a really important time. And for me, it was the moral and ethical standpoint. I, I so I spent more than 20 years on a farm with farm animals, you know, having animals as pets, just like you would have a dog or a cat. But these were, you know, dairy calves that would follow me around, you know, or I, I would bottle feed calves before getting on the school bus in the morning and, and raise baby chicks from when they were little and, and, and they had first names and they had personalities. And importantly to me, Doug, they all shared the same desire that we all share to live a life free of fear, pain and suffering and just, just live, you know, just, just live. And so that got me through it. That got me through, you're right. In, in the nineties, I was, I was picked on. I was teased. I didn't fit in. My teammates were worried about my health. My parents were worried about my health. My coaches didn't understand me. I, I was changing everything from what I ate to not wearing leather soccer shoes anymore and, and getting non-leather equipment ordered for our high school uh, sports equipment. And 
it was challenging in, in that kind of way that it was a little bit isolating, but I had some other friends who were doing this with me back in my hometown of Corvallis, Oregon. And, and, and I, I just believed in, in myself. And that was the key thing, Doug. And that's what carried me through bodybuilding in a sport that I had no business being in. I mean, I, I mean come on. I, weighing 120 pounds, trying to get into bodybuilding and then being vegan on top of that when there, when there are not resources, no documentaries, very few books, no internet. But I just believed in myself and my ability to, to accomplish something. And if I did, that, that's the, that was the conversation in my own head, Doug. If I could do this, it would make a difference for the animals in the world around me. And that's why I did it. And yeah. that's why I still do it to this day. It was that meaningful and that compelled me. And then I was just able to connect the dots ahead of time. If right. I do this today, it's going to impact me a month from now, a year from now, five years from now. Someday I will, right? Even this new book, I say all the time, it's been 33 years in the making. You know, I wanted to write a book since I was eight years old in the third grade. Some dreams take decades to achieve. And here we are. Yeah. And the last thing I want to ask is a follow-up question to what you just said. And I guess first, I want to say, it just seems to me that, that most people that I know who stick to a plant-based diet long-term have like an ethical reason for doing so. Right. I mean, yeah, I think as a byproduct, if they do it properly, of course their health will change, but more or less when you have the conversation, there's some sort of animal rights that's in there. There's animal cruelty. They're doing other things in the activism space. And I know for me, when I've tried it, you know, I haven't gotten that emotionally connected to the animal rights or the environmental side of it. So it's just been my health. And, you know, this is another conversation for another day, but I've always gone back and forth like, eh, what's, what's the healthiest. This research says this, Re this research says that, but I guess as a follow-up question before we move on to Matt, like when you started bodybuilding and you were making the shift without, because all the bodybuilding material, you know, I don't know if, I don't know. Well, Arnold's book probably wasn't out back then. I'm not sure if it was Arnold's encyclopedia bodybuilding, where he got into like a lot of the nutrition there and the macros or, or different programs or different research that came out about like, you know, we were talking before we recorded when I was doing physique training in the traditional bodybuilding diet, it's like egg whites and oatmeal for breakfast. It's chicken and rice and vegetables. It's salmon and rice. It's steak. And it's like, that's the traditional bodybuilding diet. So like, how did you begin to, to research and find out like how many calories you needed to eat or what types of food would help build the most muscle when it, there wasn't hardly any research out about it back then in the, in the vegan space? Yeah, Doug, basically I used the resources that were available. I discovered the muscle magazines and realized, okay, I need to do these protein powders, but I'm going to do a plant-based version of which there were very few back then. And they weren't all that great. And then I, and then I stumbled upon Bill Phillips book, body for life in the late nineties, 1999. And I'm like, man, I'm going to do the body for life challenge. And I did, and I had my before and after photos and I submitted them. I got my certificate and oh my, I framed my, my certificate of completion. I didn't win anything, but I, you know, I went from 157 pounds to 176. And, and so I gained 19 pounds in 12 weeks. And that was the start of my, my, my bodybuilding career. But it was, it was really, it was trial and error. And it was understanding that, that I did have that commitment. You know, like I, I found something to believe in. And, and Doug, to answer the first part of your question, you know, people seem to stick with it because of the ethics and moral aspects of it. Think about anything anything that's worth pursuing. One of, the, one of the hardest things in the world is to believe in something and really mean it, like to wholeheartedly believe in something, not question it, not waver, not, you, you know, uh, go back and forth, but to, I mean, it's really hard. 
I mean, commitment is hard. It just is. And, and belief in yourself and belief in what you're doing is hard. But for whatever reason, I was able to do that mm-hmm. and at a young age. And, I, and that just that carried me through those, th- those situations. And so I, I veganized my bodybuilding diet. So I did, I did the, the brown rice and the broccoli and sweet potato, but with tofu instead, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I had to learn. I was, you know, in the early days, drinking like five protein drinks a day and eating seven cliff bars a day just to get my calories up. And, and, and then I it just, I just learned along the way and, and my diet improved. I started eating a more diversity of foods, more whole uh, plant foods. And, you know, it, it, it enabled me to achieve lifelong goals, both in fitness and in personal achievement that were very, very meaningful. And it, it never slowed me down It never prevented me from doing those things. And, and that's one of the great things that I think about a plant-based diet is that you don't have to sacrifice your moral and ethical beliefs for fitness results. You can have them both. Right. That's phenomenal, man. And I love hearing stories where something happened, where it, it changed your life. And now you're helping to helping to use that to help other people change their lives through your content, through your books and through what we're doing right now. And so we heard the strength and the bodybuilding side. So now I want to move on to you, Matt, endurance athlete. I know for you, you've been vegan, I believe for about 12 years. And I think initially, I, I think your, your urge came ethically too, but I also believe you were looking to qualify for the Boston marathon. Am I correct? That's right. I was, uh, I'd been a marathon runner for about six years or so before I first went vegetarian. And so that's actually what was 12 years ago. And that was purely ethically motivated really. And then later, once I became vegan, that actually was kind of a combination of, of more ethics. And then also the, I started to learn about the performance from guys like Robert, Brendan Brazier, Scott Jurek, who I started to discover only after I went vegetarian. But anyway, the, the backstory there is that like, I got into running in college. I had eaten a standard American diet growing up, hadn't really been that athletic. I mean, I played sports like a lot of kids, but definitely not a runner or anything like that. And so I got into marathon running, just jumped into it in college with some friends. We like said, we were going to run the Boston or run a marathon and we we're going to qualify for Boston which is a ridiculous idea. If you're not really a runner, I was also doing the body for life program. Like Robert was probably at the same time as he was. And, and he had to do these like three and four mile runs for that. And that's, that's all of my running experience. When I said, I'm going to run a marathon. So we did it. We wrote down three ten as our qualifying time for Boston, missed it by 103 minutes, ran a four fifty three, and realized that I had a whole lot to learn, but I kind of got that same thing. Robert talked about with this sort of this vision for the future and thinking like, what would I have to be to do that. Like, not just like how cool would it be to qualify for Boston, but like, what would that mean for my body and my discipline and, and just my whole life? Like how, how would I have to carry myself to be that kind of person? And that got me super excited. So like failing by that much actually really got me inspired for maybe the first time in my life to be that ex- excited about something. So I set to work, learned how to run without getting injured, learned how to have good form later. And finally I was within 10 minutes of qualifying for Boston, but kind of, kind of plateaued at this like 320, 323 marathon or something like that. And that's when I got this urge to become vegetarian, which really was just like a total inconvenience at the time. Cause I was finally felt like I was kind of close to Boston and thought that with, with some more work, I'd get there. I certainly didn't expect to do it in my next race at that point. But so I, I said, I'm going to go vegetarian. I gradually like phased out some of the meat because I was afraid of not getting enough protein, like, like everybody. So I didn't eat four legged animals for like a year, didn't eat cows and pigs. And then eventually when I was like ready to get serious about it, I decided I'm going to stop eating the chicken and turkey because that's now where I was getting all my protein, I thought. And so I just ate fish a couple times a week, was mostly eating a plant-based diet. And that's when I said, like, I need to find some information to see if this is actually going to work, if this is doable. But, you know, I did not do it thinking this was going to help me qualify. 
And I did, and I, I couldn't find any information about it. At least nothing that, that to me resonated like with an endurance athlete. I know Robert's thing was out there at the time, but for whatever reason, I went right past that if I, if I saw it at all, cause it was bodybuilding. And so I couldn't find anything that, that was like science back that I could actually trust or, or that didn't seem to have this agenda behind it. That was like really wanting to push the ethics and saying, this is the only good way to eat for performance when, you know, they didn't know they were just talking because that's, that's how they wanted you to eat. And so I was really kind of against that, like whole pushy, preachy, vegetarian, vegan thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm just going to start this thing and I'm going to make it really chill and cool. Like just coming from where I am, I'm going to write about what I'm doing. I'm going to be this kind of, you know, irreverent sort of vegetarian who's, who's new to the thing and doesn't, doesn't really know. And I'm just going to share what I'm doing. And so what I did not expect to happen was that it would actually work really, really well for my training. And six months after I started this blog, I think I phased out the fish within like the first month. And then that's when I started my blog, No Meat Athlete. And five months after I had phased out the fish or something, maybe three, four months is when I ran a 309.59 and got myself into Boston. And like a lot of people ask about why that was like, was I suddenly just faster or lighter or what? And like, I did lose a little bit of weight. I lost probably five pounds in the beginning, which scared me because I didn't have any much, much more to lose than that. But thankfully that like leveled off and I kept my strength. And what happened was I was able to get all these workouts in that I'd done before. It's just in the past with running, like whenever I had gotten in a solid, when I felt like I was really, really training well for, for three, four weeks, that's when the injury was always like just around the corner. Because with running, you don't really know that you're overtraining, overuse injuries in general. You don't know that you're doing anything wrong until it happens. And it always happened with running. But this time it didn't happen. And I was able to train harder and harder just all summer long, just nailing these track workouts, these tempo runs, these long runs at, at marathon play, pace plus 30 seconds or plus 15 seconds a mile and just, just cranking out runs. And then I went there and it was, it was the hardest race I've ever run and, and qualified. So mm. after that, I was sold on it. My blog kind of took a turn then towards a little bit less about like my experiment and a little more towards like, well, how, how was I making this work? I certainly wasn't the only one doing it, but I was, I was one of the ones who was, who was kind of, I guess, popularizing it or, you know, getting people to notice. Cause Scott Jurek was a legend in ultra running. Right. He was doing it. He just wasn't writing a blog about it. And no one, if he didn't know about ultra running, he didn't know about Scott. Mm. So that was kind of the story. As I said, I got to expose, got exposed to these, all these guys and girls who were doing it. Uh, and I realized there was this whole world of vegan athletes who were really serious about it. And so I started to realize wow, like vegetarian is not the whole game. Like you can, you can go further if you're serious about not wanting to eat animals or, or eat animal products. And not only that, but, but someone like Scott Jurek was saying that he thought his diet was a reason why he was so good. And so I thought, well, I, I got to do that. And so it took me a few years to get there. It took me two more years from vegetarian to vegan, just to like really gradually transition. Cause I was very, very timid about giving up cheese, like, like a lot of people, but I did that as I got into ultra running, I ran some 50 mile races, ran a hundred mile race, completely vegan, you know, and then, and then Nomad Athlete kind of became this, this community of its own. So that's, that's sort of my backstory, but yeah, motivated by ethics really primarily, and then totally surprised by, by how well it helped me. I think, I think it was the recovery that helped me recover faster which is what pretty much any athlete you talk about will, will say, faster recovery. Very likely that's due to, to lower inflammation, higher nutrient density of plant foods, really without trying. I really wasn't trying to eat these foods. I, was, I just cut the animals out of my diet and, and it worked out. And so were you focusing on primarily eating whole food source plant foods? Like you weren't just eating Beyond Meat burgers and v- vegan chicken. You were, you were eating more fruits and vegetables, legumes, complex carbs, healthy fats from the right sources and it wasn't processed. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I didn't have a choice because that stuff was gross back then. Uh, It's a little different now. The Beyond Burgers in 2009 were different from how they, if they even existed. The the vegetarian burger options then were way different from what they are now. 
but yeah, so I was, I was all focused on whole food and I thought that was kind of the only way to do it. Like certainly you could still eat French fries and Coke and whatever, but like, that's not, that wasn't interesting to me. I was into, I was actually, I had been really into cooking before this. And like, I was interested in whole food. I read Michael Pollan's book at the time in defensive food was one of my big, like motivators in the early days. So yeah, I was, I was kind of doing whole food from the beginning, but, but by no means was I like a strict whole food plant-based. I mean, I ate plenty of right. olive oil and I would go out, to, you know, in the early days I would go to a bar and, and just get French fries and beer and say, well, that's, that's vegetarian. I'm doing the best I can. So yeah, but, but totally that makes a huge difference. You can't just go eat junk food and say, well, mm. it's not that just removing animals from your diet suddenly makes you get more fit. Right. You got to replace it with foods that are, that are, you know, going to do that for you. Right. Because I think, you know, if somebody eats mostly uh, whole, whole foods that come from plants and they eat a little bit of animal products, they're going to be healthier than the person who eats a hundred percent vegan junk food. Right. Totally. I mean, yeah. And I think people, and I, I think, think, and I think what ha- what's happened in the vegan community in the gluten-free community, even in the carnivore community is you get, you get put in these buckets and it's like, Oh, like just be carnivore. Just go eat all this processed bacon and sausage and hot dogs and hamburgers. Just eat what you want as long as it's meat and then vegan, the same thing, gluten-free. And it's just not reality. Like you can be vegan and be very unhealthy. You can be carnivore, be very unhealthy. You can be, so I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this because I think there's a lot of people that they fall into these diet camps just to be part of the diet. And yet their health is deteriorating because they're not doing it in a way that's actually conducive for their health. And so, you know, with that said, like hearing both of your stories, just personally, I almost feel like, and I don't want to say it's harder because like being a bodybuilder, the, the stigma or the shame or the fear might be a little bit higher because you equate protein to like massive muscle growth in the gym. Like you need to eat like two grams per pound of body weight or whatever it was back in the day, or at least a gram per pound of body weight. You got to eat chicken. You got to take protein shakes right after you work out. Whereas as a runner, like, yeah, strength's important and protein's important, but you're more worried about like making your time and, and making the distance versus losing muscle. And that we know that carbs give you energy. And if you eat enough carbs, odds are you'll make that time where did you have like that in the back of your mind where you knew Matt, that, you weren't worried as much about the muscle loss because you knew like, all right, well, I'm not like going to the gym and, and trying to build mass. I'm just trying to make it through a race. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I didn't feel like I experienced muscle loss, but, but I did think, like I said, I lost some weight in the beginning. I hope most of it was fat. My strength didn't decrease. So I, I don't, that's why I think it wasn't muscle, but I didn't like measure or anything, but yeah, absolutely. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm a runner, you know, if you, if you can lose five or 10 pounds and let's say I was 150 pounds to begin with running a marathon or an ultra at 150. 43 instead of 150. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. And there are formulas online. You can go and plug in and see how much faster your marathon time will basically automatically be if you're a certain amount of pounds less without a massive loss in strength. So yeah, endurance sports certainly favor an athlete who is leaner and smaller. Whereas, you know, powerlifting is kind of different. Like powerlifting is not bodybuilding. Powerlifting is all about strength. There's still a reason to keep your weight down for that. Bodybuilding to me is, is, and I I could be wrong here because I'm not that familiar with, with bodybuilding. But I think bodybuilding to me seems like the, the hardest because it's, you want to be large. It's not about, it's not about, you know, slimming down and, and still being strong. It's about actually getting bigger muscles. So like for me, it, like it was just a matter of calories. I had to just make sure I ate enough calories to support what I was doing. And as long as I was doing that, I was fine. But if you're trying to eat a, a large caloric excess, yeah, I, mean, I, I could admit that that would be more challenging when you're eating low calorie density foods, especially if you're a whole food plant-based person and you're not trying to 
trying to eat a bunch of processed stuff because you can go get Beyond Burgers now and get tons of protein and, and, you know, and calories, but that's not really the diet that I'd be eating all the right. time if I was thinking about my long-term health. Not that it's a bad thing. I think, I think they're great in their, their own way, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's more difficult to, to do it as a bodybuilder than it is that it's as an endurance athlete. Well, I'm, I'm inspired by both of your stories in, in doing this. You know, I think obviously it's had a massive impact in both of your lives and now you're using it to, to your advantage, to being able to, to not only help your own causes and your own health, but to, to share the wealth and, and the knowledge to help so many people, you know, make a difference in their own lives and their own health. And one of which is, is your newest book, the plant-based athlete. And before we get into like, what, like, I know we're going to talk about protein. We're going to talk about supplementation. We're going to talk about soy and what foods to eat, what foods not to eat. Like if maybe the two of you, or if one of you wants to take this, like, like why should somebody go plant-based? Like if it's not for ethical, take the ethical and the environmental reasons out of it. Because I think, like I was saying before, like that to me is a bit, if somebody's already tied to the animal rights issues and environmental, they're more likely to want to go plant-based anyway. But let's talk to the person that maybe isn't tied to those, those two matters. Like why should they go plant-based? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah. yeah. You want to go, Matt? <laughs> no, go ahead, Robert. I'll, I'll fill in whatever you have to do. I'll start briefly with my brief, my brief answer, hammering a couple quick points here. And then Matt, ex- feel free to expand on this. Mm-hmm. So for me, Doug, here, here's the issue. It's nutrients per calorie, right? So the aggregate nutrient density index, the highest nutrition per calorie comes from plants. It comes from leafy green vegetables, followed by fruits, and then legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds fall, fall into that. We have a graph in the book that lists these different foods. There's no question that these provide the most nutrition per calorie because they're very low calorie, yet they have the highest amount of antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, fiber, and and they're often very water rich, which our bodies are mostly water anyway. So what we can do is the, the more plants we include into our diet, the more benefits we get. For example, there are 64 times more antioxidants in plant foods than animal based foods. Dietary cholesterol is only found in animal protein, not, not found in plant-based foods. Fiber, which 97% of Americans don't get enough of and, and, and therefore have some you know, health issues as a result, is only found in plants. So fiber is only in plants, dietary cholesterol only from animal protein sources, 64 times more antioxidants in plants versus animals, and the fact that the higher the antioxidant consumption, again, really dark pigment fruits and, and vegetables, you know, blackberries, blueberries, kale, uh, collard greens, raspberries, these kind of foods, 
these, these are great at reducing inflammation and, and fighting off inflammatory responses, therefore helping expedite recovery, which then allows you to improve and train more and more and more. And that's what, that's what Matt mentioned earlier with someone like Brendan Brazier's thesis was, man, if I could just recover faster, I could train more and therefore I could build up greater endurance or greater lung capacity, greater muscle strength, greater endurance, and I could perform better. And then therefore I could achieve more meaningful things in my athletic career at, the, at, a, at a high level. And so for me, it's really harnessing the power of plants. And you got to look at nutrient density and calorie density, and also look just objectively, look at, look at the state of, of health in the Western world. And yes, it's not just animal protein, it's refined carbohydrates and it's sodas and it's things you can get at the convenience store down the street. That's it, things that have been subsidized by the government that are incredibly cheap. You can get a, you know, fountain soda this tall, but it's really, you know, animal protein is a big part of that, largely because of the calorie density compared to the, the, the nutritional yield that it provides where plant-based sources are just, you know, they just simply provide more in fewer calories. And, and I think there is something to be said where you kind of get what you pay for. And, and a lot of the standard poultry, for instance, that, that I have eaten in the past, it's like $2 a pound chicken breasts. And then you read like what's being fed to these chickens, what's being fed to, to the cattle, what's being fed to these pigs. And it's like disgusting. Like you watch one of these food documentaries and it's like, I've steered clear because I'm like, I don't, I'll never eat anything again. Like I'd be so scared and terrified, but you know, you're right. I think in a way, the, the Western culture, if you look at our health and what's destroying people's health, our, what's destroying people's lives is like the factory farming and the animal products that are highly processed, the refined carbohydrates, the getting stuff at convenience stores, sodas, excessive alcohol use, like all these things. And so you guys have kind of put forth this plan that's very well done, by the way, in this book, along with coinciding inspirational stories that are different from people from all walks of life to be able to hopefully shed light on, on the experiences, not only of them, but to be able to create a bridge between the reader and the, the stories in the book for them to be inspired and feel confident that they can make that step. So Matt, did you want to add anything to what Robert said? Yeah, I actually would like to, because so Robert gave a really interesting, I mean, a, a good explanation, a convincing reason why, like uh, based on the inputs, right? You put in better things into your body and in theory, we're going to get a better result from these good things. The problem with that kind of argument for me is that like you can, any diet you want, the person can make an argument based that their inputs are going to be better because they can talk, you know, no one understands the body all that well, that they could truly refute. I mean, most people don't understand that well enough that they can refute what if someone who's you know, put a couple of years into researching this new, you know, theory of why this is going to work. So for me, what, what's always more convincing is, is the empirical evidence and the empirical studies. You mentioned the athletes in the book, which to me, you know, this isn't like super scientific yet. We don't have those kind of long-term studies or, or large scale studies on athletes and plant-based diets. There are a few of them that are starting to come out and they are, they are positive. They, they, to me, demonstrate that, and we said a few in the book, they demonstrate that a plant-based diet is at least as good as the other alternative diets out there for sports. In some cases, it looks like it performs better. In others, it looks like it's just about the same. So that's one thing. The other side though, is the long-term health. And that's where to me, the plant-based diet is really starting, in my opinion, to pull ahead. If you look at the amount of science that's coming out on not just longevity in terms of years in our life, but also health span, how, how many healthy, good active years we have. And when we talk about athletes, that probably can translate into longer careers or people like Chris Paul, who a career that's kind of in, in the twilight days that they end up coming back from the dead, maybe, and, and saving it and playing a few more years. So like I said, the athlete stuff is, is still 
a hypothesis. We're seeing more and more athletes at the very highest levels choose this diet and experience results like that. We don't know. We, there's not science that says absolutely this is the better diet. We, we just don't know that. But to me, that, that long-term benefit and the fact that you can, you can do at least as well at, at your sports, it doesn't have to be a limiting factor, and get this long-term benefit when a lot of times if you're, if you're going for performance, there's often a trade-off with performance and longevity. Because if you're doing the, the extreme things it takes to be at the top of the sports world, which not a lot of us recreational athletes are, but the serious athletes are, you know, there's often doing things that are detrimental to their health in the long term. And to me, I think you can minimize those detrimental impacts by choosing a plant-based diet where it's going to be a diet that's, that's constantly, it's just to me, the best choice for repairing cells, minimizing things like oxidative stress and, you know, just helping you, helping you perform better longer. Yeah, you mentioned Chris Paul and you look at a guy like Tom Brady, who, I mean, I think he's mostly plant-based. I think he might eat a little bit of fish and you look at a guy who's arguably, he's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. He just won yet another Super Bowl and just a phenomenal athlete. And then you look at Djokovic, who just beat Nadal in the was it the French Open? Yeah. And yeah. and so many others. But before we get into these stories, and because I know Rich Roll's stories in there, I know you have Rip Esselstyn's in there. I know you have James Wilkes. But before we get into the the specifics of the stories or some of the stories, like what's one thing if somebody, let's just say somebody is eating a more traditional diet where they're they're an omnivore and they're eating a blend of, of plants. They're eating, you know, healthy fats, healthy carbs, and they're also eating animal products. Like what's one thing when they read your book that they're going to be like, wow, I'm shocked. Like something that you like found in your research that's in there, that's going to surprise a reader and maybe like help them maybe, maybe lean more towards going plant-based. I think the thing that, that people are going to resonate with is the fact that you know, I personally conducted 60 of the athlete interviews, uh, Olympic athletes, a dozen Olympic athletes, world champions, even Guinness world record holders, people who are literally, uh, literally the best in the world at what they do, and including some who set recent world records. And across the board, almost every single one of them, regardless of whether they became plant-based five years ago uh, or two years ago or 15 years ago, it was the fact that they all claimed, they all reported, they all authentically uh, said that their uh, recovery improved, they, their soreness went away. They, I mean, that's the, that's the first thing Chris Paul says too. He, he didn't realize that he could wake up after an NBA game the next day and not, and not feel sore. Like, he's like, how is that possible? Isn't that just part of the, the sport, you know? And, and so the fact that everyone across the board is saying this, that their recovery is just getting better. So if you are you know, a regular everyday athlete or following an omnivorous diet or standard diet, and you, you're dealing with that muscle soreness, you're dealing with that fatigue, you're dealing with the, the injuries that Matt talked about that are just part of the athletic experience, that this is a, a diet that, you know, for various reasons, re reducing inflammation and anti-inflammatory properties of the diet and all these different factors tends to help people recover better. And I, I even experienced that for myself, you know, as a trainer, like, you know, and as a weightlifter, sometimes we're training one muscle group, like once a week, we just hammer it, you know, go to yeah. Venezuela's gym and destroy chess for, you know, an entire hour for 90 minutes and see Mike O'Hearn and all these people there and, and, uh, or bump into Arnold as I've done is it, exciting, but you need, you need like five, six, seven days to recover. But sometimes you, you, you don't find that that's necessarily the case anymore. And I've been able to do that too. bounce back 72 hours later, instead of seven days later, later, and, and hit that same muscle group really, really hard. And even hit maybe a personal best lift, like set my all-time best lift. And Nick Squires, 
who just set multiple, again, he already had some state record in powerlifting for the state of California. Very, very strong guy. He just set more records last weekend. You know, he, he said the same thing. I mean, here's a guy who can just walk into his garage gym, trains at home, pick up 600 pounds off the ground, just picks it up, you know, and puts five, 600 pounds on his back squat. And he just does this, you know, day after day after day, his recovery is, is really, really good. And that's one thing that I think the mainstream, the, the, the traditional reader, traditional athlete is going to really resonate with and say, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that this, this common theme that runs through plant-based athletes is something that maybe I could benefit from too. And therefore you can take the Tom Brady approach. Okay. Go 80%, right? Do plant forward diet, do plant center diet, experience some of those benefits or go all the way like Novak Djokovic and be hundred percent plant-based. I also want to make this point that would, would Novak Djokovic be the number one tennis player of the decade if he was still eating chicken and fish? Maybe, you know, hard to say, right. but the point to be made is that a plant-based diet didn't prevent that. He's still the best in the world. He's the player of the decade. You know, he took over Roger Federer's spot as the number one player in the world. And a plant-based diet has not prevented him from continuing to be dominant in that sport. Same with Venus and Serena Williams. Same with Lewis Hamilton, same with people you mentioned like Nimai Delgado and so many others who have just excelled because of the benefits of plants. Yeah, there's a lot. I think I've heard, I don't know if it was you or Matt mentioned Alex Morgan as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. U.S. soccer player, female soccer player. And there's, and there's so many other stories that you've displayed in the book. But outside of the, the notable names that are in there, was there was there one that maybe somebody hasn't isn't as familiar with? their name that isn't like a mainstream name that somebody might be like, wow, like I really resonate with that. That's, that's inspiring. Like I'm going to give this a shot. Was there somebody that was in there like that? I mean, there, to me, there's just so many, I think it depends on the person. Uh, Sonia Looney for me, just world-class ultra endurance mountain biker. Like, you know, I did a, I did a hundred mile run. It took me 28 hours or so, which is not, not a world-class time by any means, but she's riding a bike, a mountain bike. To me, mountain bike is just so much harder than running. I guess. I don't know if it's just because I'm a runner, not a biker, but to, to bike up a hill to me is just miserable. And she's doing 24 hour versions of that and the world champion and she eats a plant-based diet. So for me, that, that one resonated. And I think, like I said, it, it depends on the personality. She's just all into like the, the kind of rah-rah personal development to go like all about your mindset, which really, I mean, most athletes at the very top of their game like that, especially an ultra endurance athlete where you got to suffer for, you know, hours on end. Sometimes they tend to all have that, but, but something about the way she expressed it to me, that just, that just made me like, like I haven't thought, I haven't wanted to do another hundred miler. I haven't wanted to run since I'm a hundred miler in 2013. And I've, I've done some runs here and there, but nothing, nothing like that. But just reading what she said about, about how, you know, she had to suffer for eight hours walking her bike through mud or something, knowing that she was not going to finish this, this multi-day race because she was done. She ended up winning the race by the way, but, but her saying like how, how, what that does to you, that, that suffering through that pain somehow that, that just got me, got me thinking about a hundred miles ago. I was like, man, I, like that was really fun to, to suffer and push through it like that. So yeah. that, that one, that one hit me. There's just so many, it just depends who, who you are and what your sport is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that will relate to, to all these stories. And, and I think sometimes like a lot of what, what happens is they, they, they read somebody they've never even heard of. And then what happens is the person reading the book will end up re reaching out to the person that they've never heard of. And then that person now feels even more fulfilled because they're like, wow, like I'm making even more of an impact because maybe it's somebody you have in there that maybe isn't as notable that now is like, wow, I'm just starting out on this on this mission to help make people more aware of 
eating more plants and the, the health benefits that come from it and my purpose behind it. And now I'm feeling more confident to continue that path because it's resonating with people. And, and so we could, we go on and on of these, these amazing stories in the book, but I want people to read it because definitely buy the book. It's it, as we're recording, it came out today, June 15th. Congrats on that. Thank you. You're welcome. But I want to get into the big question, the million dollar question. I want to get into the topic of protein. Like that's the number one question when people are, are going on a plant-based diet, whether they're exercising a lot, whether they're exercising a little is, well, how do I get my protein? How do I get my amino acids? How do I make sure that I'm not going to going to shrink? So let's get into that. So I don't know if it's Robert, Matt, whoever <laughs> wants to take this, how does somebody get their protein on a plant-based diet? Well, for me, Doug, I mean, look, look at me, I put on a hundred pounds on, I mean, you, you can't deny that, right? You, I, I put on, I became a champion bodybuilder. Like, that's the thing. Like I've joked on some other podcasts too, that people will go, Hey, so where do you get your protein? When I'm like way bigger and more muscular than them and plant-based and getting more protein than they're consuming on, and they're eating animals every day. So like, that's just part of it. Part of it is the example. Like it's, it's, absolutely doable. And there are athletes twice my size. I mean, huge NFL players and power lifters and Olympic lifters and pro wrestlers uh, who are plant-based. Uh, Ryback Reeves is a guy. He's been a huge enthusiast for our book. He promotes it a lot. And he's got millions of followers online. He's a 290 pound uh, former WWE intercontinental champion, massive guy. And he's all about plant-based eating and, and vegan living. And you know, you're going to ask that guy where he gets his protein. He's 300 pounds. He breaks people in half. But the real answer, Doug, like the one that people are looking for is that if you reach your calorie needs on a daily basis, if you consume adequate calories, you're going to get the requisite protein that you need just by default. Because as we discussed, I think offline, everybody eats some sort of variation in their diet. You don't eat only broccoli all day long. You don't just sit there and eat cans of tuna all day long. And that's the only thing you eat. We all eat a variety of food. And, and in all of those foods, are the amino acids, the building blocks of protein and, and all essential amino acids are plant are, are found in plant foods, some smaller amounts, some in larger amounts, but that's true of anything that we do. There's always smaller amounts and larger amounts of everything, vitamins, minerals, you know, this particular antioxidant, you know, this amount of fiber, this amount of whatever, and our body takes all of it. It takes everything that we consume and it says, okay, here you go. Here's what you got to work with. And if you reach your calorie needs, you're going to reach your protein needs. That's just there's almost no way around it unless you, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if you ate only celery, you'd, you'd fall short, but maybe you wouldn't. So, so just understand what your calorie needs are, get those met and you'll, you'll get your protein needs met too. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that you said that because we were talking before we recorded and you know, our, my friend, we, you talked about, we talked about Simon Hill and Simon and I were having this conversation about complete proteins and and complete amino acids. And he's like, well, would you ever eat brown rice all day? And I was like, no, like I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't eat like whatever it was, 2000 or 2,500 calories of just brown rice. I would eat a variety of foods. And it brought up a good point because yes, I think by themselves, like brown rice specifically might not be a complete, have all the complete amino acids, right? You know, black beans in itself might not have all the complete amino acids, like essential amino acids, right? But combined, if you combine them with a few other foods, if you're eating that throughout the day, you can get that full spectrum of the essential amino acids that you need to, to build muscle and to get the proper protein intake. So yeah, that, that's, sorry, that's a really important point, right? You don't, yeah. you don't need to get your complete, all your amino acids in one meal. Your body pools the amino acids throughout the day is fine. Perhaps even over many days is fine. 
And no one said lysine yet, but you mentioned it earlier. And, and I was glad to hear that because like in, in all the interviews we've done, really like people haven't really dived that deeply in. It's just been protein. Maybe they'll mention essential amino, acid, amino acids, but, but lysine is, is known as like, that's the limiting amino acid. And, and it's thought, you know, people say, if you get enough lysine on a plant-based diet, you're getting enough protein on a plant-based diet, because that's the one that's hardest to get. But there are lots of ways to get it. And, and to me, you can kind of, there's sort of like a cascading, like if you, if you want to do it in the purest way, like eat a bunch of lentils, eat quinoa, eat amaranth. And, and if your diet's based on those kind of things, you're going to get enough lysine and leucine, by the way. If you want to go like another step down the process chain, and these foods really aren't processed, tempeh is a soy product that, that is, you can see the whole beans in it really. It's, it's barely processed. Soy is kind of halfway processed, but you know, Dr. Gregor, who's a guy who a lot of plant-based people look up to, he says beans are so healthy, legumes are so healthy that, that soy, even one that, that is, is a process where you've lost some of the fiber, sorry, not, not soy, but tofu, that's still a, a really great food to eat because beans are so healthy to begin with. So like if, if you're going to go down to that level or like seitan, which is wheat gluten basically, but that's loaded with, with lysine. So like if you're going to go to this next level where you're eating tofu, seitan, tempeh, you can get a lot more lysine. And then if you want, if, you, if you're really still worried, take a, take a plant-based protein powder and, and those you know, can get you half your lysine content right there in one serving. So it's just, I don't know, it, it, to me, like Robert said, like there's a million different things you can think about. You can think about, does this particular diet give you enough fruit or is that a big limiting factor of this diet? I would say a lot of mainstream diets, yeah, don't give you enough fruit. So like there are all different things you can worry about. You can classify things according to, you know, type of macronutrient or even broader classes like that, fruit versus non-fruit. So just, there's a lot of ways to think about things. A lot of things we can optimize. Everyone wants to focus in on plant-based or, or go even more narrow and think about this particular amino acid. But, you know, I, I think, I think it's just, it's just one factor of many, many things to consider when you think about diets. And Doug, can I add something real quick? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I think this is important. You, you, you inspired me to say this immediately when you talked about, well, you know, you'll, you'll probably go ahead and get your complete protein from, from me, but now you got to do these other different vegetables and everything, but you got to look at the, at a food in its totality. So let's say you get your complete protein from meat. Well, you're also getting dietary cholesterol. You're probably getting saturated fat. You're probably getting all these extra things. It could be a class one carcinogen. It could be a class two, a carcinogen, especially if you're eating deli meats and hot dogs and, and foods like that. You're probably, what are you doing with those, with those foods? You're probably covering them with oil. You're getting tons of extra calories that way. You're probably putting them with some sort of bread, you know, white refined bread food. That's not healthy at all. Not health promoting. You're adding condiments on there. You have this, you're probably putting cheese on it, dairy on there, you know, with, you know, and that's, and that's really, really problematic. I mean, most people are lactose intolerant around the world. It's not a natural food for us to consume, you know, as adults, we shouldn't be breastfeeding, but billions of people still do it. And that's, I think important. You have to look at it as Rip Esselstyn says, you know, foods have baggage that come with them. And so you can say, yeah, animal proteins, you know, complete protein, but it has this baggage that, 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 that comes with it. And so there's a lot of foods that, that, that don't necessarily have that baggage. They have like this, this health promoting uh, luggage instead of baggage that, that helps like, you know, scrub artery walls and helps replenish nutrients and helps revitalize and helps with digestion and, and helps with utilization and, and helps with a good return on investment nutritionally, as far as low calorie and high nutrient yield. And so I think we need to look at that because we, when we obsess about protein, what do we do, Doug? We, we overlook we underestimate and we exclude the benefits of complex carbohydrate foods of really good quality fats, omega-3 essential fatty acids, primarily DHA, EPA. And we tend to, with our, our hyperfixation on high protein foods, end up eating a massive calorie surplus because those foods come with so much extra stuff as far as like the breads, the batters, the oils, and things like that. 
and, and salty and, and maybe makes us need to consume a bunch of liquid um, calories, which then adds to excess weight gain over time. And that can be problematic. And, and like Matt said, is a diet lacking fruit or leafy greens or lacking beans, which you look at the blue zones research, the, the longest lived populations in the world on all these different continents, the one thing that ties them together more than anything nutritionally is legumes. That is the factor that, that, that joins all of them. And then there's other factors as far as community and happiness and well, well-being, but nutritionally beans, legumes, you know, are, are where it's at. And so is your diet lacking those because of a fear of lectins or a fear of, of complex carbohydrates or a fear of whatever the case is, a fear of soy. Sometimes we're, what I think we're, we're just missing, you know, we're missing the boat when we focus just on protein and, and why do we do that? And we actually wrote about that in the book, the history of, of our obsession with protein of, of, of uh, family diner restaurants, of television and ad commercials, of convenience stores and fast food and the supplement industry and all this stuff. So just for people to listen in here, I, I think there's a lot of baggage that can come with certain types of protein, and we should at least have that in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we can all agree on, as a matter of fact, I love how you guys made the comparison between the plant-based diet and the paleo diet on like everything that you guys do agree on, you know, as far as like what to eat, obviously you disagree on the animal product part, but for the most part, it's like getting rid of the processed foods and eating foods in their, their purest form to the best of your ability. Right. And I think you're right. I think people, they, like I said, a few minutes ago, they, we get put in these buckets, you get put in these buckets, you're like, Oh, it just has protein in it. I'm going to eat it. It's gluten-free. So I'm going to eat these cookies and it's counts or I I'm vegan. So I'm just going to eat the, this vegan chicken and these vegan crackers like all day long. And because I'm staying vegan, it's okay. And like, yeah, I mean, I guess in a way it's better than eating cheeseburgers all day long from McDonald's, but on the other side of the coin, there's an, a whole other level to this where you can actually change your approach now to not just be vegan, but also be healthy to not just be whether you're, or even if you're like a carnivore, you, not just to be a carnivore, but in some cases, you know, depending on what you can believe it can be healthy based on the food choices that you make, but staying on the topic of protein, I know you guys kind of talked a lot about protein in the book and say, there's somebody listening to this. It's like, Oh, like I'm just used to being told if I want to build muscle, I should aim for like twice my body weight in grams of, of protein or one gram uh, per pound of body weight for protein. But you guys have like a calculator that you found on your own in there. So like, say somebody's listening to this, they want to make sure they're getting enough protein um, throughout the day. If there's somebody who's trying to build muscle, what does that number need to be for them? And then, and then specifically, if you're a vegetarian, I know you said it's slightly different because the absorption of, of plant proteins versus animal proteins is a little bit different. So what do those numbers look like? Last I checked, I think it's something like 0.36 grams per pound per day. So if you're 150 pounds, you're looking at 50 grams of protein per day. There's this little factor that, that plant protein is somewhat harder to absorb and it's like 10%. So then you're talking about 55 per day. If you're an athlete, you are going to want more than that. I think the number's closer to more like half of your, of your body weight in grams. So, you know, if you were 150 pounds, that'd be 75 grams a day. That, that's just a very rough estimate. Obviously you can go look at the calculator and what the recommended intake is. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's so easy to get Robert. And I were actually talking about the other day about how, like this protein question has been, we've, he's been answering for 25 years. I've been answering it for 12. It's just not going away. And I think part of the problem is like, we always try to tell people this story, like it gets into this big nutrition thing about like, well, you don't need that much more than 
or you don't, then you think it just eat whole, eat whole food. You'll get all you need. And I think that's, I think that's a lot for someone to buy. Who's been told like the complete opposite of all these, all these years that like you have to get your, your body weight and protein gains per day. It's just hard that like suddenly one conversation, you're going to be convinced that, that you need way less than that. I think it's true. And I think, I think in fact, that much as most people get is probably dangerous because a, a lot of the animal protein induces production of, of IGF one insulin-like growth, growth factor one, which does help with muscle growth, but it also helps with, unfortunately, cancer growth. So like, that's, that's a big reason to stay away from excess protein consumption. But anyway, we were saying like, maybe the, maybe the whole nutrition discussion is too much. Maybe now we should just say, look, like the, the vegan meat substitutes these days are so good. And I'm not saying they're identical to a hamburger, but a Beyond Burger is not that different from a hamburger, has just as much protein. So like, it, maybe that's where the argument just needs to go. Like, look, there's all kinds of now technology has given us all these vegan foods that give us the same amount of protein, if that's really what you want. So you don't have to believe that, that you need less than what so many people think you do. Just, just go eat, eat fake meats that are out there and, and we'll give you all the protein you need. If you really want to be vegan, uh, that's, that's really not a very, very big sacrifice to do. Cause like I said, they've, they've come such a long way in the past 10 years that it's, you, you can do that and, and eat pretty well as far as taste goes. And, and Doug, as an example, real quick, Matt and I are having this discussion because we're doing a lot of podcasts, we're doing a lot of interviews, we're doing a lot of live videos. And like he said, like, I don't know, man, people just, people want to hear that they just, they just need to keep their protein intake through the roof. They just, that's just what they want to hear. And, And are we responsible? Are we being responsible, acting responsible if we support that? For example, I I've maintained a body weight of over 200 pounds for five years, probably longer. And I consume like 70 to 90 grams of protein a day. That is, that is insane in the bodybuilding world. That's, un, that's unheard of. It's 10% of my calories coming from protein. This is documented, well-documented for six weeks at a time, for other long periods at a time. This is the real data. This is, that's just what I eat. Because it's so much about calorie surplus, you know, when it comes to building muscle and adding weight and all of that, it's not protein, you know, there, there are, there are legitimately 110 pound women who consume way more protein than I do. And are they bigger and stronger than me? You know, are they pressing 330 pounds on decline bench press and using 110 pound dumbbells and are they weighing 200 pounds? No, it's calorie surplus or calorie deficit for losing weight. The protein thing, you just have to meet your protein requirements. And as an athlete, okay, eat an extra half a sweet potato, you know, have an extra handful of walnuts or put some nuts on uh, in your oatmeal or, or have an extra smoothie or whatever. It's not, anything crazy, but are people going to even believe that? Or they're like, what do you, what do you mean? This guy, you know, 210 pounds and eating 92 grams of protein a day. That's not possible because we've been trained that that's not possible. Right. Mm-hmm. I read the muscle magazines. I read the books. I, I hang out with the bodybuilders. I've been around IFBB circuit for 20 years as a big fan, protein, protein, protein. So I'm at that, that crossroads because I don't know that it's responsible for me to encourage people to just consume copious amounts of protein, even in plant-based form, because that's, you know, that's what we've been told. I, I, I just don't, but I also, at the same time, I don't know if people are going to resonate with my, my practice that I've put in for half a decade or longer of, of consuming 10 to 15% of calories from protein. And that's enough. And I'm still been the biggest and strongest I've been in my entire life in recent years, even in my forties as a result. So what I'm hoping is that more people will embrace a lower protein diet and just give it a try, including bodybuilders and powerlifters. And then they can say, okay, there might be something to this. And then we can focus a little bit more on complex carbohydrates and good quality vitamin, 
mineral antioxidant rich foods and see how that helps with our recovery, which could then enhance our workouts and therefore lead to better results. Yeah. And and I think what's, well, I believe why there's a lot of people that haven't developed that sense of understanding about the need to eat less protein is because that maybe they haven't walked in your shoes, Robert, or in Matt's shoes, where they actually haven't taken that chance to try it or just see what happens. Because the only way someone's going to know if they are able to maintain muscle growth, they're able to maintain their endurance, maintain strength is to take that step and just, and try it and see what happens. Try it for 30 days, try it for three months, try it for six months, commit to that, go all in. And if it works for your body, cool. If it doesn't like, then you can reassess and figure out whether you want to continue on that, add this, add that. But unless you try, you're never going to know. Plus exactly. I, I would say most athletes, most bodybuilders, most people that are in endurance sports, most people that are into fitness and in, in health, they're not plant-based. So I think it's harder for somebody, for the average person to say, well, most people aren't doing this. And and, and certainly more people are coming out, more people are doing it. And you have obviously shown so many amazing stories in your book, but I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about it from the listener's perspective being like, well, why would I do that when most people aren't doing that? And, And there's still plenty of people that are having so much more success in the athletic arena than the plant-based athletes. Sure. Look at Tom Brady, look at Djokovic, look at Chris Paul. Awesome. Right. But there's so many more people that that aren't plant-based that are having success. So, you know, along with protein, one of the things that gets, that gets highly talked about is supplementation with, in the plant-based community, we're from from the other side where you hear people say, well, if you're plant-based, that means you need to take like B12, you got to take vitamin D, you got to take like an iron supplement. And if you have to supplement on a diet, how does that, how is that healthy? Well, I will say from personal experience, I I am not plant-based and I still take supplements. I still take a high quality fish oil, still take a high quality multivitamin and a few other things. So whether, no matter what approach you follow, most people in many cases will still supplement. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. It's not vegans who are supplementing. That's the the thing you're saying. Oh, vegans do B12. No, 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 no. Animals are fed B12 that you're eating. You're eating the B12 that was already supplemented to them. I know I come from a farming background. This is how it works. Okay. And and who's eating Flintstone vitamins? Who's eating multivitamins? People who are not eating fruits and vegetables. Right. That's the thing. We have this idea in our head and I, and sorry if I jumped the gun there, man, I just wanted to get that point out there because for 25 years, I've been hearing this of like, oh, well, you know, vegan, you got to supplement this and that. No, no, no. Back up for a second. It's people who are not vegan who are who are using most of the supplements. They're taking all these vitamins and and pills and fish oils, and they're even adding protein powder, even though they're eating tons of animal protein already. They're still doing protein powder, and and that is I, I think worth recognizing and mentioning that it's really it's I mean the supplement industry is not fueled by by vegans. Look, whey protein and casein protein are the number one selling protein supplements in the world. And, and, and fish oil and others. And I looked into all this stuff and saw how big the industry is and, and what's selling and, and what's fueling it. And it's, it's, you know, multivitamins, I think are the absolute number one by, by and large. I mean, just like something like a hundred billion to like, you know, 30 billion or a hundred, whatever it is, it's, that's the biggest one, but then protein powder is a huge chunk of that. And that's like 90% way encasing protein. But as far as B12, you know, everybody should take B12 supplement. You know, I mean, B12 doesn't come from animals. It doesn't come from plants. It's a bacteria that, that hangs out in dirty soil and on red meat and stuff like that. So everyone should benefit from that. But Matt, I just wanted to get that out there just because it's, yeah, of course we, we got to recognize who's really, who's really supplementing these days. 
Yeah. So I don't know if you know this. I have, I have a supplement company that it's called Complement, and we we made supplements that actually are less than full multivitamins because to me, like once I went plant based, I realized I didn't I didn't need a full multivitamin anymore. I used to think that when I was back into trying to put on weight and when I was trying to qualify for Boston, I was I was taking multivitamin. But once I started eating plant based, I realized I actually don't need that. I just need this handful of things. And for a while, I was combining them all and buying one bottle of B12 here and a bottle of D3 here and DHA and like doing all that. But then I said, well, I'll just put them all in one mm. supplement and that would do a great thing. So it seems like, yes, vegans must need a supplement. But in fact, most vegans, vegans who are doing it intelligently and responsibly, to me, they're supplementing less than someone typically does when they take a multivitamin. Got it. However, the reason, the reason it has this, this wrap that you bring up is that you know, it's clearly deficient in B12. If you don't take B12 for a long time on a plant-based diet, 100% plant-based diet, you're going to run into problems. That's that's not necessarily true with with the omnivorous diet. If you do a good job of balancing things out, there's not one thing that's going to become this huge problem for you. But again, to me, when you when we get into that argument, we're we're again talking about inputs and saying, well, then in theory, this diet shouldn't isn't natural because you need to add this thing to it. But if we go to the other end and we look at what's actually helping people live longer, avoid heart disease, avoid some cancers, it's this plant-based diet with a B12 supplement. Mm. And to me, if, if, the sci- if the science, the long-term studies are showing that's what helps you live the longest and the, the longest, health, longest amount of healthy years, then it doesn't really matter to me what, what the argument is about the inputs and what's natural and what isn't. I want the one that's going to help me live the longest. So you know, when, when you look at it from that perspective, that, that's why I think the supplementation question isn't, again, just not, not the big deal to make it out to be. When, when it comes down to that, like, well, this can't be natural if you have to supplement it. Yeah. No, and I, I agree with you. And I, and I think, uh, you know, uh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I agree with, with both of you in that. I think, like I said, we're, we're all, you know, having to supplement in some form based on what we eat. And if you have to do plant-based and, and use the B12 supplement, then by all means, like, again, like I, I want people to, that are listening to this to know, like you have to do what works for you. Like I believe nutrition, health, wellness is a very individualistic approach, which is why I, I think this book is going to help a lot of people because you, you break it down and you're like, okay, if you're an endurance person, here's, here's a plan. If you're a strength person, here's a plan. Here's some calculators. Make sure you want, you're eating enough calories. Here's different stories from different athletes and people from all walks of life. Because I think what happens, like I've said a couple of times on the show is that people get caught up in these buckets and they're, they just lose the, they lose the notion that they're, they're an individual and they have to figure out what actually works for them. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of adjustments. There's a lot of times where it's, you're going to feel off. There's going to be times where you feel on and you just have to find that balance within yourself and which you, which you intake so that you can just kind of figure out what works for you long-term. So with that said, I mean, let's just say you're speaking to somebody like myself, or you're speaking to other friends of mine who have gone plant-based and they've experienced brain fog. They've experienced lack of energy. They have got like flatulence, like what's going on there. And then what kind of adjustments can they make so that they can maybe continue on, on that journey? Well, I think, uh, go ahead, Matt. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So Doug, first of all, I love that you earlier encouraged people to just try stuff. I think that's so important. And so many, like so many people reach out on on social media or email and they'll say like, Hey, I really want to try this, but I'm worried about this and this and this and this, and none of these things are fatal conditions, right? If, if you're worried about like something that might actually kill you or be irreversible, then I'd say, okay, you're right. You should worry about that. But mostly it's just worried about not getting enough this and that your times are going to suffer or your energies. You have some friend who this happened to. It's like plant-based or not any diet, like just be someone who tries stuff. I think that like, that's how you find, like you said, the thing that really works well for you. So that, that's the number one thing I would encourage people. Like be someone who just tries stuff. Of course, do it intelligently, read the books, do research, 
but don't like research all day and then never actually try anything because you're always going to find the thing that's poking a hole in whatever the diet is you're wanting to try or whatever the thing is you're wanting to try. It doesn't even have to be diet. So I love that piece of advice. One of the things that, that always happens when I hear someone, not always, but very often I do hear someone say, well, I went plant-based, tried it for a month, but I felt like my energy was low. So often that is, is the result of not replacing the calories. Because if you just take away animal products and you replace it with you know, leafy greens or more salad, which by the way, will fill you up because plant foods are not calorically dense. So they can still fill you up without packing in quite so many calories. But like, it's, it's not that hard to reduce your calorie consumption accidentally by 30% when you stop eating animal products overnight. So I'm a big fan of like the small steps. Like I said, it took me four years to go from fully omnivorous to vegan. Those small steps helped me learn along the way how it was going. I figured out when something wasn't working that well. I figured out what it was like to go out to a restaurant. I figured out, you know, I had, didn't have the flatulence issue so bad because it wasn't like a just overnight thing. And that's where that kind of stuff to me comes from. And when you drastically change your body, your body will eventually adjust. You're just going to go through this period where it's, it's not used to that at all. And, and it's going to be a really rough month, you know, from, from a lot of different angles. So I'm not encouraging anyone not to try it. Cause like I just said, if you want to try something, try it. But I think another way to try something is to ease your way into it. You don't have to go this way overnight. You can, you can start eating a plant-based breakfast or a plant-based breakfast and lunch and just eat your dinner, your, your normal omnivorous way. And then, and then over time, if it's working for you, you know, then, then try pushing the boundary a little bit more and, and try full, some full plant-based days. If it's not working for you, then, you know, come back off it a little bit. It doesn't need to be night and day shifts. So I just, I think it's like you said, that, that experimental self-experiment kind of mindset, doing it intelligently. I, I think that's, that's the real key. And, and Doug, if I could add quickly, I've, I've been saying for years on tour, probably 10, 15 years that I think 99% of people don't know what they're actually eating. They, they claim they do the list. Oh, I eat pretty healthy. The list a few foods, but there's no accurate documentation. There's no, there's no reference to exactly the, the copious amounts of caffeine they consume or, you know, the lack of leafy greens or the massive amount of refined carbohydrates and oils and candies and sodas and processed foods. And well, you know, I eat out at restaurants four days a week or, you know, no clue what's in restaurant food, all the additives and all the things that are added to make it taste better. The sugars, the oils, the salts, most people just don't know what they're eating. So what I would encourage people to do, and I've said this in all of my books, just for a couple of days, a week, if you want, but a couple of days, start small, do it for a single day, maybe write down every single thing that you eat and drink during the day, just to get an idea. Some people don't know they're drinking five cups of coffee a day. They just don't know it. They think it's two, but it's five. You know, some people uh, think they eat meat all day long and really it's a, it's a smaller part of their plate. They just don't know it because they associate it with like, oh, it tastes good or it's filling or that's how I identify myself as a, as an omnivore or a, as following a paleo diet or whatever the case is. But really it's, it's also just a, an eye-opening look at, at who you are at what foods you consume and what foods you don't. And what I have found, cause I've been doing this, I, I, I love this topic and I've been doing this for so many years is that most people eat about a dozen things like that's it. You know, I mean, how many different meats do you eat? F- probably four, you know, yeah. around that. It's like four different things. And how many fr- different fruits do you have? Yeah, probably two, three, you know, how many different vegetables, you know, your, your favorite two or three, like most people eat about a dozen things. Here's the problem, Doug, you know, for most people, standard American diet s- statistics, what the numbers show is that, you know, most people follow that kind of diet of a standard American diet. So there are a dozen things they eat every day about 10 of those are processed foods, you know, eight to 10 of those are processed foods. That's where we get, that's where we run into problems with obesity and diabetes and heart disease. And that's also 
Doug, where, where you can feel lethargic and fatigued and all that too, not just on a plant-based diet where, or, or you feel like, man, I'm just I'm consuming too many calories. My body weight just keeps going up because we don't know what we're eating. We just don't. Mm. And even as someone who's been following a plant-based diet for 25 years, who's written for, you know, four books on it and who documents this stuff as a former champion bodybuilder, my eyes are opened every day when I do this and realize, man, Robert, you've been doing this for decades and you still don't eat the amount of leafy greens that you probably should. You know, you, you, or, or, or you go through stressful times and you, you know, you don't consume enough water or you're just, I've gone through times where I've been injured and I eat four Amy's frozen burritos a day because I'm like, well, why bother? You know, I can't train the gym. I've got this back injury, herniated discs. I want to maintain my weight. I'm just going to eat these frozen burritos because it's quick and I'm limping around the house for months. We have these behaviors. And one of the most eye-opening things I think we can all learn about ourselves is, is what do we really actually consume? And, and to try documenting it for a day or two. And I, I just think you'll learn a lot about yourself. There's so many commonalities between what you just said and what I tell my clients. Like if someone's looking to eat better, no matter what they're trying to do with their food approach, I'm like, well, you gotta, you gotta first develop some sense of awareness. Like you mm-hmm. can't know where you're going unless you know where you're at. Like you gotta write down what you're eating on a regular basis. And, and most people don't even have a clue. I mean, I've had clients that are embarrassed, embarrassed to hand me that piece of, and I'm like, listen, I don't, I know there's going to be bad stuff because most people don't even know that they went to Taco Bell the night before and had, you know, three tacos and a burrito, or they went out and they got this big heaping bowl of pasta or whatever. But I think once you develop that awareness, like I said, a minute ago, then you can start to take action. Like, okay, like now I see these trends. Now I see these patterns. Like, what can I do? Maybe a good first step would just say, you know, like, I'm going to make sure that I have a goal of eating like, you know, five to 10 different fruits and vegetables over the course of a week, a week, and then build off of that. Because we live in a society where everyone's looking for these short-term results really quick. And if they don't see those short-term results, they quit. Right. Which is why I think what happens when the people who are trying to go plant-based, they go and they experience some hardship they quit. So like, Oh, like this isn't as perfect as I thought it was. Well, it's because your body's adjusting. It's kind of like when when I've trained a, a new client in, in many ways, what happens when they start building muscle, the, the scale starts going up and they don't understand what well, you're, you're building muscle. So that's why the scale is going up and the weight will eventually come down if their goal was say to lose body fat after it re- the body recalibrates itself, because right now your body's just readjusting to the weight you're gaining from the muscle you're building. And it's the same thing with nutrition. It's the same thing with life. Like you're constantly recalibrating when you're on an, on this different journey. So I wanted to thank you both for, for, for your time. This, this interview was awesome. I learned a lot. I think the audience is going to learn a lot. I, I, I hope that, that you, that for those listening to this, you at least, you know, take a chance at eating more plants, incorporating more plant-based foods into your diet, you know, in, and so that you can, you know, live longer so you can become healthier. And then again, if you want to go the full hundred percent, and go 100% plant-based, then there's definitely steps and protocols to do that in their new book, The Plant-Based Athlete. But don't try and do it all at once. If you're somebody right now who's living and who's eating an omnivorous diet or a carnivorous diet, and you're like, you know what? Like, I'm inspired. I'm going to go 100% plant-based tomorrow. Just take small steps. Small steps leads to bigger results. So do you guys have any parting words or anything else you'd like to add to what I just said? No, I love that. I think, I think the advice, just eat more fruits and vegetables, like start that way, but actually measure it. Don't just tell yourself more fruits and vegetables. Cause that doesn't get anything done, right? There's no, there's no accountability there, but, but set a little goal for yourself, actually track it. That's a perfect, really small step way to start. And those small steps, like you said, they, they preserve your willpower. You got to be more patient with them because you don't get immediate results from that. But if it preserves your willpower and it, and it keeps you going so that you can make it two weeks doing that. And then suddenly start to notice a little bit of a benefit and want to go to the next step. 
then then it has done its job. So yeah, thank you, Doug. This has been awesome. It's great to talk to your audience and you about this stuff and uh, and really good questions. This was fun and different from the others we've done. So I appreciate that. Cool. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to a, a different type of audience than just a plant-based audience and, and really answer some of these questions that are burning for a lot of people who are curious about this lifestyle and want to hear from people who have done it for decades and have experienced success with it to understand like how to make it work really well. So really appreciate the opportunity, Doug, and for the platform. And I really want to thank everyone for listening and, and want to encourage everyone to follow your passion and make it happen. And, and thanks so much for checking out our new book, The Plant-Based Athlete. It really means a lot. Of course. And I was glad to have this conversation too, because you're right. It is kind of a different audience. Like I said, I don't think my audience is, is mostly plant-based. So, but at least gives you guys an opportunity to share a lot of your wisdom, a lot of your expertise, a lot of the knowledge that you've written about in your books, or just you've learned throughout um, your experience doing this stuff to be able to potentially help some people in the audience, just eat better, live longer, perform better and, and recover faster. So to get the book, they can just get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold? Anywhere. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you both for coming on. And what I want you all to do as I I try to encourage you to do with every episode is take a screenshot and tag Robert, tag Matt. I'm going to attach your social media handles in the show notes with a takeaway. Maybe it was something that they said about protein. Maybe it was something they said about supplementation or something from their own stories that you resonated with, or just something about the benefits of of eating a more plant-based diet. Um, whatever it was, tag them, tag myself. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you thought of the episode. And uh, we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.